Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I speak with Andy Povey, Managing Director, UK and Ireland for Convius. Andy shares with us the five key digital trends attractions shouldn't miss out on and research into dynamic pricing for theme parks and tourist attractions. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Andy Povey, it is so lovely to have you on Skip the Queue podcast today. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's my absolute pleasure. Um, And I know you've been a bit poorly, so let's just state now, poor old Andy has had COVID and... He's got a little bit of a cold today, so so be kind to him. It's man flu. <laughs> it's always it's always man flu, Andy. Right, as ever, we're going to start with icebreakers, and I've got a really good one for you. So, how would you describe your job to a three-year-old? Oh, to a three-year-old. Well, uh, I've got eight-year-old twin girls, uh, so as far as they're concerned, Daddy gets to go to zoos and theme parks without them, which is uh, not not brilliant, but. Uh, no, I'm, I make computers work, I suppose. Make computers work for yeah. for cool attractions like zoos and theme parks. I think that that's absolutely good. Yeah. good job, Andy. We'll talk more about that later. Um, okay, what one thing would you make a law that isn't one already? That's a really difficult one. They're always difficult, Andy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're being, you're being mean to me. Yeah. Oh, I'm in our office in Amsterdam at the moment, so I'm travelling a bit. And uh, I do have a theory that you should never, ever fly from an airport where people feel it's appropriate to turn up in flip-flops. Well, even if you're, tra- even if you're travelling back from a holiday and it's a bit warm. So the, the law would be, if I'm at an airport and I'm waiting in the baggage carousel, you need to get out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, yeah. I, the airport is, um, everyone goes a bit savage at the airport, don't you think? You know, when you go into London and there's a certain way that you act on the tubes to get to places, you've got to walk really like, you've got to be very determined, haven't you? That's Absolutely. how I feel when I go into London. I've got my London walk on. And I feel it's a bit like that at the airports as well. Everyone's like, they're all in it for themselves. They don't care about anyone else around them. It's all just... No, no. Get out of my way. Yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah. It's a good law, Andy. Right. Everyone has to get out of Andy's way at the airport. <laughs> That's the law. Nice. Okay. And I, this one, I've asked a few people this one because I really like this one. What would you buy as you exit through the gift shop? I'm not really into things. I'm much more of an experienced kind of person. Uh, so if there was something um another experience or something to enhance the experience then it'd be something like that okay um good answer yeah something to enhance the experience good answer i like that andy and we'll talk about that a little bit more later as well what would your twin girls pick what would be their things from the thing oh cuddly toys I mean, you must be the same. There's shelves and shelves and shelves of these things in the house. My daughter is doing incredibly well from all of the visits that I, that I have been on recently. Yeah, let me tell you, the gift shops. I'm being ruined. Squishimals. Yeah, squishy, squishy animals, all sorts of stuff she's now got from various attractions that she's never been to. Like, I'll have to take her to, <laughs> to say thank you. <laughs> no, in mine where you're the same age as your daughter. I went to Orlando a few times for IAPA. Uh, and I would buy them Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse cuddly toys uh, and bring them home. But because they'd never seen anything to do with Disney, uh, these were just referred to as Boy Mouse and Girl Mouse. Oh, oh bless <laughs> they them. They didn't know what Mickey Mouse was. 
Oh, and I'm sure they do very well now. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Andy, what is your unpopular opinion? What have you prepared for us? I I actually did a poll of uh, my colleagues in the office because I I was looking at something to do with Eurovision uh, and actually trying to work out whether my opinion was unpopular or not. uh, (laughs) And unfortunately, it wasn't. So um, Eurovision massively overrated uh, is my opinion on this. Gosh. So I knew we were going to fall out over this. Well, I mean, it's not just me. There's a lot of listeners that you are going to make very unhappy about that statement, Andy, not to mention Rachel McKay, who, if she hears this, I don't I don't know how she's going to feel next time she sees you. So <laughs> that is for you to feel awkward about. <laughs> you asked for an unpopular opinion. <laughs> OK, let's put it out there. Um, how does everyone feel about Eurovision? I feel like this is... Uh, this is definitely going to be an unpopular one, Andy. Thank you. <laughs> right. Okay, Andy. So you have got over two decades in the attraction sector, self-proclaimed attractions industry nerd. I think that's yep. that's fair. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up working in the sector. So um, a colleague did tell me the other day that it's actually 30 years and I was trying to hide oh. away from this. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, I am old. So... Many, many years ago, started uh, a temporary seasonal job at Chessington World of Adventures, having left college without a clue about what I wanted to do when I grew up. My first job was driving the train around the park at Chessington uh, right. and absolutely fell in love with the attractions industry and then stayed with Merlin or the Two Swords Group, which then became Merlin Entertainments for about 18 years and doing all sorts of different jobs. So that's how I fell into it and um, have never looked back. It's a really common theme, actually, from guests that come on who have started, who've, who've gone to work in a theme park or an attraction um, as, you know, what they probably thought would be a temp job for a while and then yeah. absolutely loved every minute of it and then have just kind of risen through the ranks, you know, whether they've stayed in one group or they've moved around, but they've just continued to learn and learn and, learn and progress. And yet yeah, that comes across so frequently with our guests. It sucks you in. It absolutely does. Uh, and I mean, it's a great industry. And I I love the fact that you can build a career within our industry from starting right at the bottom and um, just work your way up. I think it's, it's a testament to the, to the industry. Mm. What kind of roles did you work in then as you kind of moved your way up? So I um, did four years at Chessington as a ride operator, then went to Rock Circus, which was a subsidiary of Madame Two Swords in uh, the Trocadero in Piccadilly Circus in mm-hmm. central London. was there for four years and was told that someone from head office was going to come and install the till system and tell me how to make it work. Uh, at which point I went, no, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went and became that person. Oh, uh, you were tills man? Yeah, I was. I was right. a tills man. So I started in ticketing before the internet. Which yeah. uh, <laughs> before anybody really knew what the internet was. And then uh, moved to... Madam Two Swords for a short period of time and then uh, to what was Two Swords Group head office uh, in Tottenham Court Road, looking after all of the till systems for the organisation and then did that for about 10 years and then uh, left, went and joined uh, the supplier that we were using, uh, Two Swords, so Gateway Ticketing. I was with them for 10 years, basically convinced them to set up a UK office and I ran the UK office for 10 years. Uh, and then uh, after COVID, decided it was time to go and do something else. So came across Convius, the company I work for now, and whose office I'm sitting in today. And that's what, that's it, really. That's a, 
very brief summary of Andy's career. Excellent career. Um, I want, I'd like to hear a little bit about Convius. So I, I am aware of you, um, and I think that most people at the moment would be aware of Convius. They fit there everywhere. Convius are everywhere. Yeah, we're bright pink, and we shout <laughs> and a lot. They're pink, and you have <laughs> Don't fantastic. Know what they do. You have fantastic stands at events that we all attend. But I think there is there's something really different about Convius. And, and can you just tell us a little bit about it? So it, it's not just what Convius are doing. Uh, there's something going off in the whole world of um, technology. Uh, the Salesforce are referring to, referring to as the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, and uh, so computing was the third industrial revolution from sort of 1949 to 2010. Uh, the fourth industri- industrial revolution is all about data. Uh, and five years ago, everyone was talking about big data. and That was the buzzword that was everywhere. Um, so we were just storing loads and loads of information. The, industri- the fourth industrial revolution we're seeing now is actually doing things with that data. Because uh, there's no point in just paying for a load of storage somewhere if you're not going to do anything with it. Mm. So what we're doing at Convius with that, with that data is really sitting on top of our partners' websites rather than being a page that you go off to and gathering as much data as we possibly can. So we pull in long-range weather forecasts. We're pulling in all sorts of information about how people are interacting with the website and ultimately just using it all to drive sales uh, and increase uh, sales for our partners. I know that the weather thing is a really small thing of the system, like it's a tiny thing, but it's the thing that sticks in my head the most because I just think it's blooming genius. Like, (laughs) how I know. (laughs) It's such a small thing, but it's such a clever thing to have. Uh, I mean, it, it it really does affect uh, attendance at so many attractions. And I love um, Dom Jones when he was talking to you. Uh, I love his take on the weather. Of uh, Actually, you, if you're going to blame the weather, you should also give the weather credit when you have a great attendance. <laughs> I agree. Uh, yeah, I love that quote from Dom. <laughs> um, so, th- so, so it is really interesting in terms of what Convius D, because I think that one of the things that that attractions could be better at is using the data that they already have in more sophisticated ways. And the Convius platform allows you to do that really easily because let's face it, you know, marketing teams are overstretched in attractions and they can be quite small at times as well. You know, we had Danielle and Ross on um, from uh, Drayton Manor a few weeks ago and, you know, the, the two of them, pretty much head up their, their department and, and I know there, there is they have a, a head of marketing as well but you know that there's that's a that's a small team for what is a significant attraction yes so yeah, anything yeah. that we can help to put in place for those teams is ultimately going to but you know make it easier for them and make it better and they'll be understand be able to understand better what their customers are actually doing yeah and ultimately it's making it's about making it easier for the customer there's a whole focus on personalization at the moment, uh, again, across the industry. So rather than it being one-to-many, it's one-to-one personalization. Uh, and looking at if we know something about the customer. Uh, so take me, for example, I'm going to be, uh, I buy family tickets and I love industrial heritage. So Google knows that about me and Google will tell every website that I go to, that's who I am. Mm-hmm. So if we've got a family offering as an attraction, then let's promote the family offering. If you've got an industrial heritage offering, let's promote the industrial heritage offering to the people who've identified that they are. Ultimately, it's about giving people what they want. And that's the really smart bit, isn't it? That, yeah. um, you know, the system can identify the person that's coming and, you know, show them the things that are more relevant to them that, from that attraction than the, the standard things that, yeah, they might, they might like, they might buy, but actually this is the one that they really want because that's, 
connecting with them at a completely deeper level. That's some of the stuff that I want to talk about today. So what one of the things that's good about Convius, and I think I'd like to, to, to hope that rubber cheese are aligned in this way as well, is that when we think about talking to attractions, we're giving them things that are useful. You know, I think yes. that 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 ultimately from any marketing perspective is is how useful can you be this content that I'm putting out what value does it bring somebody and 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 how can they engage with it and and, and is it helpful for them and that's what I feel Convius does really well and, and I see a lot of your articles on Blue Loop for example and, and, a, and a, a couple of months a month, month or so ago there was an article about um, the five key digital trends for attractions as we roll into 2023. And I think that this is a really good time to talk about these things because people are doing a lot of planning at this time of year. They're in Christmas, which this year feels very busy because it's the first Christmas that people can... It's the first one though, isn't it? If you think about it, that people can actually go out and feel comfortable that the things they're going to book, they can actually do. Um, Last year, we still had that Omicron you know, oh, do we do we do big groups? Do we do we just stay stay inside a little bit longer? But this year feels busy, and I think that attractions will get through Christmas, have a brilliant Christmas, and then January will be that time when they go right. This is this. What are we doing? This is what we need to focus on now. So this is very pertinent. Comes at a great time. One of the key trends that you just mentioned was personalization. So you, you talked about making things relevant to your audience like really really relevant are we talking about kind of exclusive here as well because we talk about that quite a lot exclusive events and things that they can only get at certain places yeah I think so and I think that's one of the things that not just around digital I think it's one of the things that the attractions world will do to really weather the economic storm that we're going through at the moment generally what we've seen over the past 12 months is that if you've got a a short event or a short-term event, it tends to sell out. So looking at what you as an attraction can do that creates that exclusive event. So if you're a park, can you get um, Peppa Pig on on site for two or three days? Uh, Couldn't get Paw Patrol there for a couple of days. Uh, So giving people that incentive to come and come again and come again. Uh, So not just being this is the six weeks of the summer at my theme park. This is the, this is the Peppa Pig fortnight, although two days. And this is the Paw Patrol two days. Mm-hmm. So re- improving that repeat visitation. And I guess that comes back to look what you talked about data. I guess that comes back to really understanding your audience. So you need to be collecting Absolutely. the data to understand what those people want in the first place to then be able to tailor your offering to what they, what they like. 100%. 100 percent. i mean there's no no value in creating a peppa pig experience if none of your visitors have got kids <laughs> <laughs> a great way to waste I, a load of money i don't need to see pepper no, <laughs> no 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 you can keep pepper <laughs> so you talked earlier about you know you know what you like and that google knows that about you how do attractions tap into that through i guess through advertising right well it's not just advertising it's actually looking at i mean you did the survey a few weeks ago about the attractions and understanding Google Analytics, that kind of stuff. Uh, um, it's free. You, know, you do not need to pay to get Google Analytics data. It's there for you. And there are so many venues and so many prospective clients that I'm talking to now that don't have access to it. Uh, it's, yeah. it's almost criminal. Uh, yeah. the, there are still vendors out there that don't share this information. Uh, so, um, 
I suppose to come back and answer your question is go and look at the data that you've got. Google Analytics will give you a view of everybody that's coming to your website. Find out who they are, what they like, and then give them what they want. Well, yeah, but uh, tailor something for them. So um, if you've got a, a large foodie audience, then look at your catering. Yeah, that's really good advice. Can you put on a Heston Blumenthal event or a Jamie Oliver yeah that's really great advice actually taking it to that deeper level the second key digital trend was about online and offline which i kind of we've kind of we're we're talking a lot about online and offline as well so this isn't just about digital but i guess one of the things that was mentioned was about digital experiences and that that i guess you can talk about that from a pre-visit perspective you know how do you engage people digitally before they turn up at your event but also once they're at your venue too so digital experiences that kind of deepen or extend the experience that you're already giving them like how can you think of any really good examples of that that we can that we could talk about from a from an attractions perspective that's really difficult the reason that we go to attractions as human beings is because we like doing physical things we want Mm -hmm. to be with our friends we want to be with our family particularly after covid it's been difficult to go and see granny and whatever so it's safer to go and visit a park or to visit a garden than it is to possibly all sit around the, in the lounge having a cup of tea i can think of an unusual example i suppose there was um, the forestry commission did something a few years ago with the graffalo uh, it was an augmented reality yes. thing uh, so as a parent you could sit your child on a tree trunk and hold up your phone and the augmented reality would superimpose an image of the Graffalo sitting next to your child. They pulled it within six months because the parent is having this experience of looking at their child through a phone. Whereas the child's sitting there going, well, mommy and Where's the Graffalo? just on their phone again. <laughs> mommy and daddy's just on their phone again. How do we, what, what are we doing? Uh, yeah. So in that situation, it's about getting back to reality uh, rather than it being digital. So it's a really fine line. At what point does a an app or a park map or something like that, at what point does it enhance your visit versus intruding on your visit? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's really funny because when you mentioned that, I was like, that's a perfect example of this, how how digital interacts with nature. But you're right, aren't you? Because the child doesn't, doesn't interact with it. They just see you pointing a phone at them again or you interacting with your phone and not with them. I hadn't considered that and how what message that actually sends out to them while they're outside in nature as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not a, a Luddite who's going, no, no, digital should be nowhere near your experience. It should be there and it should be enhancing. But actually really understand, understand that it is enhancing. So yeah. if you talk to the guys from Bewilderwood, they, I know they, there was a podcast with Hannah. And, uh, yeah. They delight on the fact that you can't get a mobile phone signal. In, yeah. <laughs> in Norfolk because <laughs> you should put your phone away you're here to have a day out with the kids yeah that's a really good point I actually quite like it when I can't get any mobile signal because it make it means that I'm present you know yes, it means I'm not absolutely. worrying about like having to check something or like I'm actually not even that concerned about you know oh I need to get get this picture for the gram I just forget about it if I've got no signal it's not it's just not going to happen one thing that we do have to think about, though, from an online perspective is, is about bookings. So what we have seen, and again, we've seen this in our um, attractions website survey that we've just published, is that bookings are increasing on mobile year on year on year on year. So we do have to think about that 
that pre-visit and how easy we we make it for people to book tickets so actually someone asked me this question on LinkedIn yesterday what was one of my what's you know one of my top infuriations with attractions websites and I said for me I'm often on my mobile phone when I'm doing things because I'm out and about and I might be booking my tickets on a mobile phone and I really hate have to you know when you're forced to create an account before you can actually buy anything I'm like god I just I've got literally five minutes before I get off the train and onto the tube and I've got no signal and I've got to get this ticket I don't want to be creating an account right now I just no, 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 need the no. ticket I might get an account afterwards but just give me the ticket I mean that was one of the things from your report wasn't it the uh, account creation is a massive turnoff to conversion yeah and for me I never remember any of those passwords so <laughs> Every time I go back to that store, I'm having to reset my password, which is just an absolute pain in the butt. I'm with you. So there don't you go. Don't do it. Top tip from this podcast. Don't make people yeah. do that. Don't <laughs> do it. Two very, two very angry, angry consumers here. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. All right. So number three on our digital trends list is increasing loyalty. Now, this is a big one, isn't it? Right. So, again, it's interesting. So from a personal perspective, again, I was asked um, about memberships. We have a National Trust membership. It renews in January. I'll absolutely be renewing it. It's great value for money. You know, it gives us so many places locally that we can go to for what is, you know, it's not a free day out, but, you know, it's a great day out. It feels like it. It feels like a free day out, yeah. But I guess, you know, do attractions need to think a bit more about that now so should we should attractions be rewarding loyalty so member perks for example or just small things that members get for being a member that you couldn't get unless you were a member absolutely it's almost those sort of money can't buy experiences so it doesn't necessarily cost the attraction anything to do these things and you can go and have a members exclusive event to walk a coaster track or to a behind the scenes tour or something that yeah all right it might cost you a couple of hours for a member of staff to put it on again as we came out of covid the first people that came to your attraction were your most loyal customers they've come to see you as the first thing they can do so as an attraction, you have the opportunity to harness that loyalty uh, and turn these people into advocates. And that's going to be your best marketing resource where they're recommending to people to come along and see you. Uh, so if you can deepen that relationship by rewarding, by sharing, then absolutely you should do it. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's understanding what they want as well. So when we talk about delivering what they want, should we, you know, should attractions be surveying their members and finding out what more they can give them and again that it comes back to the data thing again doesn't it like how well do you know your audience are you actually from a member's perspective are you actually giving them what they want no absolutely and i mean surveying is great but there's so many so many other ways you can capture information about members and what they're doing that isn't actually going and asking them a question because you get this um it was interesting when we did the uh, dynamic pricing um consumer research the responses that you get from people when they're answering a survey aren't necessarily what they're doing in real life interesting give us an example there was um 30% 30% of people uh, believe the airlines aren't charging dynamic prices. And I'm looking at this going, well, this can't be right. Uh, this is obvious. But but actually, if you dig into it a little bit more, and we did with the guys from Baker Richards and um, 
is actually the consumer's not looking at the price changing. The consumer's interested in the price they're paying for the date and time that they want to get on the plane. It doesn't matter that the price changes. It's how much am I paying today? What's my price now? Mm. That's a very long-winded way of answering your question about the value of surveys. Yeah, no, it's it's really important, isn't it? So what? So how else do you get to know your members? If surveys are giving us not quite the full picture, what other ways can we find out about? So if you're looking at an app, then obviously you're tracking. You you have the ability to track where people are going, how they're engaging, that kind of stuff. I was at IAPA a couple of weeks ago in Orlando, uh, and there's guys there um, with a new product that's actually harvesting location data from 200 different apps uh, and bringing all that and presenting it back to you, which I'm not 100% sure the GDPR compliant. Is that okay, Hunt? I'm not sure about that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, there it's looking at where people are going, how how long they're staying there, and that kind of stuff so that's one example um going back to what we do at convius we we don't capture addresses postal addresses because we're not interested in old school crm we're not going to produce a mailing a physical piece of paper and post it out to somebody so why are you asking them to fill in all those fields with an address on that's interesting so so even from a geographic perspective you wouldn't think you wouldn't it's not it's not always relevant to understand where your customers are traveling from you can get all of that from the IP address that they're coming from. Sure. Uh, so obviously it's really important to understand whereabouts in the country and how far away your customers are from you, that kind of stuff. But there are other ways of gathering that information rather than traditional filling in it. Back to your comment about filling in my address on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I've got fat fingers. I'm not going to type my address in on the phone. And I'm busy. It's not yeah, going to yeah, happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, I like that. Make yeah. it as simple as you possibly can for people. Yeah, absolutely. And the data's already there, so just gather it yep. from the right place without giving people something else that they need to do. Good. Okay. All right. Well, our next one is about engagement, digital engagement. And I always think that so digital engagement, I go straight to from a I guess from a marketing perspective, I always think about user-generated content at this point because you're asking your visitors from an offline perspective, you're asking them to engage with something that's that's at your physical attraction, but then you're then encouraging them to share that digitally. So you're you're getting that double exposure. Um yeah. and you're also generating content from your users, which is great, you know, invaluable for your marketing team. So that that's the thing that I always like focus on from digital engagement. What other things can we ask attractions to focus on a story someone told me many many years ago was uh that the marketing guy actually ran a training session at this attraction uh, i can't remember which one for staff on how to take the best photos oh that's great yeah if you see a family and mum or dad's taking a picture of the other parent and the kids obviously the member staff is going to offer to take the photograph for them uh, that's just human nature that's what we do but if you can then, if you've already identified the most grammable background to put these people in, then the member staff can just move them slightly uh, and it improves and increases the rate of those ticket photos being uploaded and, and shared. That's such a small thing, isn't it? But again, it? that's genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a better picture for people. They're more encouraged to share it. I love it. That's so clever. I hadn't even considered that. But it, again, that comes back to the, like, the people make people make places um absolutely so empower the people to make those things happen better for those for those guests 
I love that. Yeah, great one. Okay. And then I guess reviews is 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 something that's really important about engagement. And how do we encourage people to leave reviews about the venues? It can be as simple as uh, your post-visit survey. Standard. Uh, every, everyone's doing them. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, are they, though? Are they? Well, though? yeah, okay. Uh, everyone <laughs> should be doing them. Should everyone should be doing them. And then uh, you can have some intelligence sitting behind it. That if you get a lot of high scores, whatever, then direct the consumer over to the review site at the end of the review. If you're getting loads of uh, some negative scores, then direct them to your customer service team and do something about it. Uh, you, the, as human beings, we're happy to share this kind of information as long as we're getting something back from it. Yeah. Uh, it's a transactional relationship at that point. So, I mean, we talk a lot about you know, harvesting data and what have you. Morally, you can't do that if you're not giving the consumer something back and giving them a benefit for doing it. Uh, back to your comment about accounts. What's the point of me creating an account? What's my benefit mm. from doing this? Mm. There isn't one. I'm just going to get annoyed about it. This is the thing, actually. So what I, most of the time when I've had to create an account to get my ticket, there hasn't been any further interaction other than someone's whacked me on their mailing list. And I'm probably going to unsubscribe from that mailing list because I'm annoyed that I've had to make the account in the first place. So what what is that benefit? Yeah, think about, you know, if you are if you are going to force people to do something, at least make it worthwhile for them. And a newsletter, just sticking them on the newsletter list is not going to cut it. <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. And then I, um, for a, a long time, I was on the, the core hotels mailing list. Uh, and I get an email from them a couple of times a week. Uh, there was a start of Dipovi. Dipovi. <laughs> Dipovi. Yeah. You you have got that so wrong. You cannot. Your CRM is so bad. Can I tell you though? Yeah. So sometimes when sometimes it, when I have to sign up for stuff and I have to put my company name, I get emails to Dear Rubber. <laughs> That's not okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm quite used to it, but it's still not okay. No, 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 no. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a lot. Of, we're talking a lot about examples of how not to do it. To well, do it I think this is important, right? There, the attractions listen to this, going, "Oops, we might have done that. Let, we might need to change that." So it's all relevant. On a, on a positive, I got an email from Father Christmas yesterday. Oh. Uh, that's from an attraction we took the kids to last year to go and see Santa, and it's the first mail I've had from from them that venue since uh, visiting. So twelve months. So I'm not getting spammed. And you see Father Christmas arrive in your inbox. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? A, a oh, very special and... moment. So that was very well done. Very yeah, well done. Yeah, that is really, that's really smart, isn't it? If you're just going to send yeah. one email a year, make sure it's from Santa. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's talk about pricing because that's our number five key digital trends for attraction. Now, pricing is really interesting. We, we've we talked quite a lot about pricing recently. So we had Dominic on from Mary Rose talking about pricing. We also had... Simon Addison from Roman Bars talking about yes. pricing. Let's talk about dynamic pricing because it's something that we touched on just earlier when we were talking about the airlines and the surveys. So airlines use something called real-time pricing. It, you know, when a plane's almost full, the airline company is going to bump their prices up because they know they're going to sell out and they know that somebody really wants that ticket because they have to get somewhere on a certain day at a certain time. So it's a bit of a no-brainer for them. Is that something that attractions should be doing? I think so. And uh, we've, as an industry, we've talked about dynamic pricing for the past 20 years. And uh, when I was at Madame Tussauds, we implemented what then was peak and off-peak pricing. And uh, so we changed the price of the ticket three times during the day. 
and actually because we were very explicit about what the price was we increased we were stuck at this 1995 price point and had been reluctant to change for a while uh, we actually increased our ticket yield by about 30 percent whilst also increasing our value for money score which seemed counterintuitive and actually what was happening there was that the consumer was choosing how much they were going to pay yeah. So rather than being told what the price was, the consumer chooses. So naturally, we're more comfortable about a situation where we feel that we've had some choice. Dynamic pricing does that. Uh, real-time pricing, which is where we say Convius, uh, just makes that run much more efficiently, much more quickly. So a lot of dynamic pricing consultancies out there at the moment will talk about changing prices every day, which if you think generally people are buying tickets to an attraction three to five days before they visit, uh, they're only going to see three to five different price points. Whereas uh, um, the way the modern world is going or the way we are is we're changing prices or we can change the price as a result of every single transaction. Does that make it more difficult from like an operational perspective if you're constantly changing your prices though? Is it harder to then, is it harder to do like your forecasting, for example, if, if that's your if that's your price strategy? If you're forecasting on individual ticket price level, yeah, absolutely. So don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, every attraction that I've ever worked in and around has a, a target yield or a target uh, ticket price to achieve. And we've been doing variable pricing through all the coupons that get put out on all the leaflet racks that you see on every motorway service station. So you can't control how many of those coupons are coming back uh, and how much discount you're going to get. I mean, so having much more control makes it easier for you to manage that yeah. and get the computer to do it. I mean, obviously, if you're sitting there changing the prices all the time, then, yes, it's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants that job. <laughs> no. And the, the other thing on dynamic pricing is that we still get hooked up on the idea that dynamic means increase, and it mm. doesn't. And if you're doing it properly, then it doesn't mean the price is going up necessarily. Obviously, you get a, a better yield. But um, the guys at Pleasurewood Hills down in Lowestoft, um, they have a, a very uh, transient market. So there are loads and loads of holiday parks in that area. Yeah. So Mondays and Fridays are changeover days. So their total addressable market on a Monday and a Friday drops by 50% because people are packing up and going home. Uh, so if you drop the price on a Monday and Friday, or what they do is drop the price on a Monday and Friday, where it's been someone who was going to come on, may have come on Wednesday, uh, is now going to come on Monday or Friday, have a much better experience because venue's not full. Yeah. And so it smooths their demand. So there's a lot of science behind it. Yep. And that all comes back to data, what we started talking about, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, 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 <laughs> knowing yeah. where people are coming from, what they're doing, how you can change their mindset about things just from the data. Yeah. And actually watching what they're doing. So, I mean, we have an artificial intelligence engine that sits behind um, what we're doing. And it can monitor in real time what's happening about your conversion rate. So if you wow. put the price up by a pound and then your conversion rate drops by 5%, you've probably gone up too high. So drop it down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So what's uh, just manage it better, I suppose, is a, in summary. 
I think that's um, a good advice for life in general, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> Just yeah. manage it better. Just manage it better. <laughs> um, this has been a great chat, Andy. Thank you. I think there's loads to take away from. Um, I know, so what we're going to do in the show notes, so um, there will be links to all the blog articles that we've mentioned today uh, about the digital trends. And I believe there is an, an, a web, webinar that you ran about dynamic pricing as well. And I believe that we might have a link to that too that we could share, okay. which would be great. Yeah. But Andy, we always end our podcast by asking our guests to share a book with us, something that they love or they've really enjoyed that they think our listeners would also like. So I, I pondered this for a while, and um, I know that some of your uh, previous people you've spoken to have got away with two, so I've got a request yeah. for two books. One's a business book, really simple, about a half-hour read. It's called Who Moved My Cheese? So uh, it's one of my favourites. When I first read it, my 20... 25 years ago, something like that uh, really gave me a different way of looking at change. Uh, so I really recommend that. And the other one is actually a book I love reading to my kids called Oi Dog. Oi Dog, uh, great. Oi Dog. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, there's a child in all of us. And um, that for me really just tickles all of my childish bones. Yeah, so oh, that sounds well. like, well, both of those those books are, are right up my street. So um who moved my cheese unsurprisingly with a uh, company called rubber cheese you won't be surprised to know that somebody bought that for me <laughs> when I set up the business and I and, it, and it, that was nearly 20 years ago so that was one of the first kind of business books that yeah. I think that I ever read and it did make a big difference about how you deal with change and how you compartmentalize it you know into into an easier way of dealing with um but oi dog sounds right up my street I'm gonna put that on my list too right listen absolutely so as ever, if you want to win um, a copy of Andy's two books, then if you go over to our Twitter account, you can just search for Skip the Queue and you re- retweet this an, uh, podcast announcement with the words, I want Andy's books, then we'll enter you into a draw to potentially win them. Andy, thank you. It's been lovely to chat today. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. I'm sure I will see you at an event soon. And if I Absolutely. don't see before, have a wonderful Christmas. And you. Thank you very much, Kelly. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.